Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Gigabit Nation, and I'm your host, Craig Settles. I am like to welcome everybody here in our audience today, and thank you for taking time to be with us as we help public, private, and nonprofit organizations tackle important broadband issues and uh, the logistics of getting broadband everywhere it needs to be. Now, one of the things that uh, some folks may have forgotten about is that a few years ago, Muni Wi-Fi was all the rage, and in fact, in 2006, that was kind of the face of broadband, if you will, or, or the face of municipal broadband. Things have changed a bit. Number one, a lot of uh, a lot of these networks, which were uh, run by private companies, but unfortunately had the Muni label attached to it, uh, a lot of those poor business plans didn't do very well, and companies went out of business and so forth. However, cities kept pushing the um, the Wi-Fi button there. They kept trying to figure out, well, then how do we make Wi-Fi work as a citywide network? Um, one of those cities, uh, not surprisingly, is Chattanooga, and Chattanooga has built uh, fairly aggressively uh, in this in this Wi-Fi space, adding on to their gigabit network a wireless network that is now capable of delivering 16 megabits symmetrical. Uh, throughout the uh, network coverage area. So I figured on the heels of last uh, week's uh, big demo uh, day of all these applications that run on a gigabit network, we should add on and talk about the wireless part of the, uh, the Chattanooga story. So here today to help give us some insights and let us know what's going on with uh, Chattanooga's wireless effort is uh, Chattanooga CIO Mark Keel. And he is going to um, open your eyes to a lot of interesting stuff that go- that goes on that can happen once you've got um, fiber in the mix and Wi-Fi in the mix. So, Mark, welcome to the show. It's nice to be here, Craig. Thank you for having me here. So there's so much to talk about. We could spend hours, but we will try to focus down on some of the key things. Let's talk about the network itself. I mean, it's it's 16 megabits, and back in the day, you know, all that long time ago, back in 2004, 2005, these networks were were happy to see, you know, maybe a meg of, of of speed. You guys clearly have surpassed that. How did you do what you what you're doing? Okay, we can start at the wireless level. Uh, basically, on the spec of wireless, we can go beyond 16 meg of delivery. We we write in a service level agreement to 16 meg because nobody really believed we can go higher than that. We could claim higher, but 16 meg, everybody tend to agree that you could do it. Um, we actually have some cases where we go above 16, so I want to make sure if anybody out there who understands the physics of wireless that knows based on your noise level and how many APs you have, you can get quite a bit more than 16 meg. But our standard service level for any device is we guarantee 16 meg. Mm -hmm. The other piece that's required is to have a very, very robust uh, backhaul. In other words, that's our fiber that sits underneath the network. So we could stay in the air wireless, you know, talking to wireless to a printer or talk. But to get to Internet, we got to actually come back down on the ground into a wire, which is fiber, and back out onto the Internet or back to our network operations center, which is where all our servers are. Mm-hmm. So those two pieces are definitely a requirement. But the third piece, which I think is the most important, and this is where I get on my soapbox, is you got to have a need. 
don't just do it because you can claim you got a, a municipal wireless network or you got a hundred percent coverage or or whatever that number you throw out. Every piece of wireless network we rolled out day one had a specific need that was using it. Day two was the extra ideas we tacked on top of it. Mm-hmm. Now, what were some or are some of those applications? I mean, you guys have you know over fifty and counting, and I'm sure there's a number of them in the wings being developed. But what were some of the initial ones coming out of the chute? Well, obviously the the, uh, the the normal ones, which are public safety related, such as uh, police using their laptops, uh, which they're using Verizon as we speak, also. So it's not a complete replacement, but but eventually it will be. In other words, okay. we're actually collecting data, and uh, obviously we do not want to cut that police officer from his uh, office working. We look at every police car as being an office, which has. Okay. Quite a bit of money, I would say. Uh, each car has about ten thousand dollars worth of technology in it that needs data, so uh, it, it has to have that connection. But we're looking at it very uh, scientifically as far as when we're going to be able to stop having to pay for an alternate uh, network. But each one has a has that's the normal one. People usually go after public safety, but then. Uh, Criminal justice grant became less and less likely to get, so funding a network, we did not fund it with uh, city resources, so uh, we tried, We wanted to go for grants. We did not go out for a grant that did a complete funding of the network uh, just to do a network. So what we did was we went after multiple grants for a purpose. For example, mm-hmm. our, our intelligent traffic system, which is a huge application made up of 5,000 smaller applications, but we won't get down intrinsic. But, um, for example, every uh, currently we have 86 traffic controllers in an area that are connected via wireless and paid for by a grant for that network access. Mm-hmm. That built up the wireless, and then now the police are using that same network, fire department's using the same network, public works <laughs> using the same network. Mm-hmm. If I could draw this on a whiteboard, it's much easier than try to explain it. <laughs> it's hard doing a doing a network diagram over over uh, speaking. But uh, 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 if everybody could just peer, and I've drawn this, I've drawn it on my whiteboard up here. So take a look at it, and you can tell how big <laughs> this network is. There but what go. it does is, you, basically, you take one dollar. So we took one dollar. We covered in the first grant, we covered all of downtown with a wireless network only to support and paid for by a traffic grant, mm-hmm. an intelligent traffic system. But that made that available, that network available to any other aspect of the city. So then we received another grant because the the TDOT and the, the uh, Department of Transportation uh, liked what we did instead of running wires underground and taking years to roll out a wired network underground. Uh, we subsequently got another grant to roll out another 120 traffic control boxes. So uh, by not trying to fund a – we're funding the application, I guess, is the way to look at it. In other words, in this case, the application is is adaptive traffic control, mm-hmm. which in itself we could spend probably about four hours talking about tra- using <laughs> traffic control application but at the heart of it it's it's it takes very smart traffic engineers to do it 
but they no longer had to be network people because we provided a ubiquitous wireless network. So that's just so, one one application that turns into about 15. Another one would be uh, our, our um, streetlights. We found out by replacing LED technology, uh, replacing the old te- technology with LED and induction lighting, we could get a 50% energy savings right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But we also knew that uh, we weren't metering. We had no tracking of how we were paying for energy. We were just paying, like every city, paying an average cost based on how many lights we had, whether they're working or not. Mm-hmm. So on top of that, we took a took a look at a management technology on top of that. That's wireless that speaks to every light that gives you the ability to to actually control every light, and we were able to add another additional estimated 30% energy savings by having that management control over the lights, mm-hmm. which is uh, equates to, I, I think, some of the calculations they're, they're passing along in spreadsheets is we will have a million dollars a year savings in energy cost, which is nothing to sneeze at when we had to replace the lights anyways. Mm-hmm. And that's just savings based on the Wi-Fi network, not the gigabit network, right? Or not the fiber network? Uh, no. As far as network, it's, it's, think of it as it's just the road. Just because Federal Express makes money driving up and down the interstate, mm-hmm. you really can't attribute that. I guess you could uh, try to find, well, they're making that money because they're driving on the interstate. <laughs> so this, the the Wi-Fi is, is part of that infrastructure, and so is the fiber. Mm-hmm. But it's the application that actually gets the uh, of using those devices. So we're all about apps. If you can get the the no, uh, that, that totally makes sense. That totally makes it, sense. It's not about the the infrastructure is awesome, and I could sit here. Uh, I love to go into wireless and all the different wireless, uh, the physics of wireless. But in reality, when I get done designing that wireless, it's still all about what people need to use it for. It's mm-hmm. not to build it so they can use it. It's to build it for what they need. Right. Okay. So, so basically, then um, it, to, to kind of summarize, you define an application. I'm sorry. You define a need. Then you define an application. You execute the application. You realize the the benefits from meeting that need, and then you move to the next application. I mean, you may be doing two or three, and obviously in tandem. But the thinking is basically along the way of everything has to show a need and some measure of of ROI. Right. Everything has a purpose in life, as I I refer to it, a meaning of life. So uh, to give you an example, the the lighting application was we started out with a Department of Energy grant to uh, actually uh, show a deployment of energy-saving lights. Mm-hmm. And at that that point, we grew it into well. Let's let's see what we can do with the newer technology. Wow, there's this wireless control application that controls lights, and here's what you can do with the software, et cetera. And oh, by the way, it uses the existing wireless network that we've got out there. So it's it's almost like a perfect storm, and you end up hitting home runs when you go for grants. Mm-hmm. And then now that- to give an exa- give you an example on the on the uh, the uh, wireless network. You then, uh, on top of that, once you start with the ideas, you start more things flowing. For example, we have a surveillance security system, uh, which is cameras based around in our parks and et cetera, that sit there and do uh, do the normal surveillance that you know, the big brother things that everybody knows cities do. Uh, 
Uh, all those cameras are on the wireless network, so we can move them. We can take them down. We don't have to redo the network to them. They're all on the – we're sending high-definition video over our wireless network. Now, you bring into the fact, okay, the camera sitting there, at the, then somebody has this great idea. They said, well, my camera did not pick up any um, footage at night because the light's low. Mm-hmm. So the idea that came in, and we're implementing the app as we speak. It's it's it was part of the uh, the bid specification that the vendor had to meet was that the camera has the ability to salt an API and software, so it doesn't just have to be a camera that we can actually turn that light on brighter with the camera. Mm-hmm. So the camera has these smart analytics with nobody involved that sees somebody underneath the bridge at 4 in the morning, and they know, oh, first thing I do is turn the lights up to full brightness. Did they leave? Yes, they left. Turn it back down, no energy loss, and you had a security ad- added value of security added by merging those two applications. Mm-hmm. Did I totally confuse you with that? <laughs> no, I, I think, I think everybody that is sense, following or? along. I mean, the, the, okay. I mean, Granted, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot going on there technologically speaking. But I think the, um, you know, the main takeaway is that uh, you have to plan fairly well because you are integrating these complex technologies. <clears throat> yes. But you also don't want to get hung up in a technology discussion that then kind of drowns out the, the primary objective the here, which is to make an application work. Absolutely, and an application is, in itself could be thought of as an infrastructure, we don't want an application that doesn't have a need. Mm-hmm. Uh, give you an example. I, I give this as an example of what we can do, but we're not going to do it because there's not a need. We mm-hmm. could sit there and have a park ranger ride through a park with his cell phone because it has GPS on it, and we could talk from that cell phone with an app and turn the lights on as he rides through the park and turn them back off as he leaves. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, technology side, you say, wow, that's cool, and it demonstrates what you the power that you can do with simple applications and robust infrastructure, mm-hmm. and the thinking, big thinking of how do you merge multiple applications together. But the downside of it is, what's the need? You just made it to where that one park ranger had the ability to see where he was going at night. Right. <laughs> so uh, it may not be worth the need, but it does represent. Sometimes people do technology just to do it, and and I think in one of the demos you were at, we showed a couple of those examples, like with the helicopter controlled mm-hmm. over wireless. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do that to show how large the wireless is. You know, we can fly it out of one building with a camera on it and fly it across to another building going across a large area that you know is not just one wireless network, you know, mm-hmm. one AP sitting in your office. Right. But why do you need that? It's not necessary. It just opens up the ideas. It, it helps break the ice for people to say, well, if you can, it, you can do that, what else can you do? You can also do this, this, and this. Yes, and for the benefit of our audience, uh, the demo that uh, Mark is referring to was when I was in Chattanooga actually last year. Uh, I went there and uh, was checking out many aspects of Chattanooga's network. Um, we didn't actually we didn't actually see any applications uh, that relied on wireless at the demo day last week, except for one. Uh, there was one public safety application. However, I mean, their their focus was really to be about the, the, the gigabit network. But as you're reading some of the stories today <clears throat> that describe the applications that were shown last week, 
uh, it would be interesting to you know make note of the fact that if you those applications were built strictly with a with a fiber focus, but if you have the the wireless capacity added to the fiber capacity, you probably can then extrapolate on those ideas presented last week and say, well, in addition to what you know what they talked about, you can do X and Y and Z above and beyond that if you add wireless to the picture. Would that be a fair assessment? Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, if you think of it as multipliers, especially when you're thinking geographically, uh, think about the cost of connecting uh, 200 strands of fiber up to 200 different points under the street. You know, just sitting out on a street corner, mm-hmm. getting 200 points of fiber out to that. You know, there's not a building there. There's not a you know, there's not an office building that already has a fiber to it. New points of fiber, what that cost would be, you know, to support that and bring it up. So then what you do is what I've got on my wall right now, I wish everybody could see it. I have this map full of a bunch of red dots, and it almost makes a cloud because they're it's zoomed out on uh, multiple states, multiple counties, but every one of those dots represents a fiber presence. In other mm-hmm. words, there's a possibility of a gigabit up and down at that location. Wow. Now, the reason I the reason I look at that map is because I then say everywhere one of those dots is, I can grow out with one dot. I can cover uh, large areas with a wireless presence mm-hmm. and actually deliver an application far less cost of money than it would be as far as running fiber to for just. And if you think about it, that strand of fiber that went to that corner. How did that help a police officer? It might have helped the traffic control, but it didn't help the police officer. It did not help the fire department. It did not help public works. By making it wireless, once I have a presence, wireless is only limited to how much much backhaul I have. Mm -hmm. And my backhaul is, at any given point, is one gig up and down. Okay. So the... um, I guess rule of thumb then is if people are building fiber networks, they should consider where they're placing uh, the fiber and can it facilitate um, a wireless expansion later. I mean, again, is that a sort of correct assumption? Well, uh, I was funny. uh, That that question actually came up. I I had the the great pleasure to be asked to go to Australia and speak to the uh, the government rollout, a group that was uh, uh, in Melbourne that was uh, talking about they have a government-led nationwide rollout of fiber. And uh, discussion there, uh, and I'm going to cur- cur- curl this back up into probably what we've already said, the discussion there was they were designing their network out to the best place to put it being the easiest place to get fiber. And uh, I told the group, step back and look at it. Uh, treat it like a business. Treat it like uh, if you get fiber there, so what if you spend a little bit more money to get there if the return is bigger? For example, uh, they may not have been hitting a hospital with the fiber presence when they should have been hitting at the hospital because of the return of investment of getting fiber there. And uh, basically it was a resounding agreement from all the users, the people who had a need application. So, yes, to curl that back around, yes, when you roll out a fiber, you should always understand the need. And the Power Board did that. They actually understood where the fiber went. If they were rolling this out for a wireless network, they wouldn't have needed to put in as much fiber as they did. But... 
their sites were far and beyond what what wireless is delivering now. And when mm-hmm. wireless catches up, won't be long. We'll be doing gigabit wireless. We're already doing some testing in that arena. Mm-hmm. But once we get to gigabit wireless, you know, the fiber will be at 10 gig or 100 gig because the fiber will always surpass, a fiber network will always surpass wireless. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, of course, my dream is wireless becomes the de facto and the other, you don't need the other, but that's obviously right. fiber is faster right now. So. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, there are cases and situations in which the wireless technology makes sense because that's the best way to deliver or, or facilitate the computing uh, process is through, you know, a wireless connection between whatever point A and the access point happens to be. Um, now, one thing, uh, I had a, I had a meeting with some of the folks from EPB uh, on um, th- Wednesday last week, and they had talked about how it is easy to deliver uh, fiber capacity to some of the outlying rural areas because they have built the network so extensively to address the smart grid, the energy management side of things. Mm-hmm. So in essence, they had to cover their whole 600-square-mile area, you know, utility coverage area with this network. But the benefit was they no longer had to do a sort of a, a I don't know, mathematical or an ROI equation for building out fiber to people's homes because the core of the network was already in place. It was just sort of like an add-on. In some respects, isn't the Wi-Fi capacity uh, or or building the Wi-Fi capacity easier and less expensive because really the core of it all is already in place? That, That EPB network, that EPB fiber network, having already been built out hither and yon, then allows for a fairly easy, you know, adding of strands or directing of strands to whatever access points you put into place. Um, that's a long question. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, pulling back to Australia, uh, to give you some examples, yes, you can run the fiber out, but uh, then you get into that model. If it's a business model, you get in that problem of going out into a rural trying to put a strand at every house just for a TV delivery and power and smart grid in a rural area may not have the same cost of return. Mm-hmm. And it still does not meet the uh, the requirement of some of the things we have. you got to realize a city government is very geographical. In other words, um, let me let me pull back to a medical. Uh, we we actually had a, a couple of companies from San Diego, uh, Sacramento, San Diego. It's one of those S words in California. San Diego, Sacramento, <laughs> come, come here and uh, want to establish a medical certified wireless network. And what that means is not only indoors but outdoors. It's certified. It meets these critical certifications for medical devices. And you can, uh, I hope that explodes in your head right now what that means. That means all these monitoring devices and everything don't have to be inside the hospital or inside your home. Mm-hmm. You know, you could be driving down the road and have the information be delivered live. Right. So that's, the, that's the, the geographical thing is what always gets us on the municipal side. Now, on the residential side, it doesn't, but then the cost of return on that, like I said, in Australia, they if they ran fiber to everywhere in Australia, they couldn't afford it because there were some places that, you know, the one strand, the getting the strand out there was not worth the money of running it. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Power Board definitely has run the numbers and knows where they can go and where they can't go. But when we look at rural, we have a couple of things. We're looking at rural also uh, because of the medical and, and so forth, things are going on with the sheriff's department, et cetera. We look at, uh, we try, we don't need the bandwidth that we currently have in our internal urban area with high definition cameras and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So uh, that allows us to choose other. Uh, new technologies such as LTE, which we have our license request in to roll out an LTE network, a public safety LTE, or uh, a new technology called white space, which is catching a lot of interest. Mm, okay. And the and reason we look at that is obviously cost. It comes mm-hmm. down to it, you, uh, if you you can pretty much do the scale inside of a building, the cost of putting an APN inside of a building as opposed to running wires everywhere, it definitely is cheaper throwing the AP in. Mm-hmm. Now, you you have to have the experience and the knowledge and the security and everything around that, but that's, uh, I think the fear and certainly doubt in the wireless world realizes that the wireless networks now are are just as, uh, I don't want to say, I could go both ways, say that are as, as secure as a wired network or you can even go the other way. A wired network could be hacked just as easily as a wireless network nowadays. And does it make sense to, you know, I always counsel people to take a balanced view of the security issue. I mean, security is important and you can't ignore, you know, you can't right. ignore it. On the flip side, you don't want to paralyze your network because you make it so secure that it almost becomes unusable. Right? So you have to have a balance. I agree, between. yes. Okay. You have to do the the one of the most secure networks I ever ran into, and I thought it was funny. Uh, I was dealing with a federal level, and they were describing their secure network how they had it in a vault, and there was no uh, there was no way to access the network unless you went into the vault. And I said, "Wow, that application must really have a uh, very high security level to require that level." Like you said, it depends on your level. You shouldn't paralyze everybody just because you need it. You know what that application was? You would think it was missile control. It was procurement where they actually wrote bid specs for going out for bid. Holy moly. uh, (laughs) That was years ago, but I thought it was funny that that was that secure that they did not want anybody getting the pre-bid specs of what was about to go for bid. So it was only allowed in that that vault. (laughs) You could not take a USB in and out. You couldn't. Mm -hmm. There was no outside world communications inside the vault. So Interesting. To, to reinforce your point is yes, uh, as in everything, uh, redundancy is the same way. Uh, you know, how many strands of fiber do you have that in case one goes down? Well, if you have them with the same company, that doesn't that doesn't help you any. Right. So, right. Uh, then you pay for two companies to run fiber when you're not used. So then you start saying, well, you know, redundancy is not as critical for that cost benefit out of it. Right. And security systems definitely. If you make them do a, a retina scan, then a fingerprint, then a and et cetera, and on and on, is is has to be uh, gauged to what your application is. Mm-hmm. And we do have in our wireless, we do have multiple levels of security. For that same reason, we have some access to the wireless that is less secure than others. Some requires total VPN. Uh, you know, uh, you go in a virtual tunnel and multiple levels of authentication before you can even get on that section of the network. Mm-hmm. Let's talk and about... Um, you can get on just with a username password. Got 
Gotcha. Let's talk for a little bit about the fact, though, that your network there is only for city use, correct? It is only, uh, if I can phrase this, I don't know if there's a term for it, so forgive me if some, if please if somebody has a better term, let me know and I'll start I'll steal it and start using it. Okay. But pseudo government use. In other words, we have uh, the Chattanooga Housing Authority, which is not part of the city government, but they have access to it. We have the uh, the uh, multiple municipalities are using it, so it's not just one city government. We have the the Transportation Authority has just, I think they won the grant for a rollout of an application that will be using the wireless, which is their um, the little uh, rest stations where their bus stops are for okay. adding security, lighting, you know, the full nine yards of technology to every rest stop and notification of routes and where the bus is and so forth. Okay. So all these have uh, been pseudo-government uh, we do not compete in the commercial. We do not give uh, access to, uh, unless it's like an event, we turn it on for, for the event. But we do not give, it is not the normal uh, muni network of free internet to all. Now, okay. we could at any given time, for example, like we're doing at the library, uh, doing it wirelessly is uh, attacking the digital divide. Mm-hmm. And we could choose to do that, but we have to be very careful that we're not infringing on any commercial deployment of a network. But is that because of uh, legislative issues or, you know, would another city – maybe I should ask the question a different way. In another city that doesn't have uh, any kinds of municipal networking, uh, municipal network restrictions – would it make sense for the city to consider if they're building a wi- a wired network such as Chattanooga has, would it not make sense for them to build the wireless, if for no other reason, to be able to offer mobile broadband to its cable Internet customers? Yes. Uh, Hypothetically, no. and, and that's what uh, – well, if it's not that hypothetical, uh, if you look uh, – there are many companies that realize offering a wireless version of their network is 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 awesome. It helps their sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a city to do it, it's a cost item. In other words, um, to give anything out free, it uh, it still takes cost to support it. In other words, it, it, with my network right now, and this might get more intrinsic to network design, but I pay so much a month for bandwidth. In other words, uh, mm-hmm. off the fiber. So if I was to open it up to, if I doubled my subscription, I could support it. If I tripled my subscription, I could support it with the wireless infrastructure. But it would be a triple cost on my backhaul bandwidth. Mm-hmm. So while I can offer it for free, it doesn't necessarily mean it's free. If that right. actually drawn that out. So yes, if a city wanted, and that's why that's where uh, Muni. Uh, networks came in the city, cities started saying, we're going to offer this free access for all. Right. And we did a lot of study. We went to many cities before we started on this and studied them. Why did they fail? What what was there? And so our business plan was not to offer this out for free. It was at some point that we might be able to, some other company may want to, to pay us to use it as part of their package but uh, we had no intention of uh, offering it out for free. We were going to stay focused on the application and who needs it 
actually had a need for it to actually determine an ROI on it. Mm-hmm. But Otherwise, is it an ROI would be, uh, you know, there is definitely an ROI on what it does for the public, but it's mm-hmm. def- it's hard to sell that when you're at a, car- a hard dollar number. Right. Would it make sense uh, for a uh, wireless ISP or maybe a local cable company to uh, partner with the city to provide paid-for services using the, the network, both Absolutely. the Wi-Fi and the fiber network? Uh, if I could drain years down the road and I'm still running, you know, working on this, that would be my perfect dream. In other words, we put out an actual uh, bid specification that says, here's our network, how much will you pay to use it, and turn around and offer it as part of your bundle or for free for the citizens. Mm-hmm. And free being the key thing in the bid, hoping somebody would realize the value added to their their application now. The better way would be all these providers realize if you look, I, you know, I don't have to to describe much to if you've seen anybody talking about their service, whether it's wired or anything, everybody shows mobile devices. They show phones, they show iPads, they show it's all about the devices and the need that people are using. Everybody wants to be mobile. They don't mm-hmm. want to be tethered. Everybody at home if you got fiber in your home, I'd, I'd love if PowerBoard could give out a figure of how many people are at home have a wireless device now connected up to their fiber. I'd have to say, you know, you could look at the wireless uh, routers that sell, the number of cells of those that most everybody does not tether themselves at home. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the, you know... It's that unknown that uh, everybody admits that they want to be wireless, but it's still getting that out into a to get it out into a public a ubiquitous. It's there for everybody. Is a little bit harder to get past that uh, uh, the business model. Right, but I would think that rather than trying to even with partners push it out as a free service, that um, I would say, for example, to Wisp, you know, for inviting Wisp to come in and provide this service in some of the more rural areas that um, you serve or or that the the network serves, that they would offer it as a paid service. I mean, because I think one of the issues that became the reason for a lot of these networks failing in in 2005, 2006, was that businesses would come in and the businesses would say, well, we'll offer this for free, for and we'll make our money in some other way, you know, through ads or what have you. And I think that that business model was fatally flawed because of the free aspect, um, not for anything that the that the municipalities did in the process. So it would make sense maybe to um, for for WISP to offer it for free. That's like one option. I'm not sorry, not offer it for free, but offer it as a paid yeah. service. You're just basically giving them just to the access to your network or your, your infrastructure at whatever cost you want to charge them. Option two would be another local either cable company or um, telecom company would say, well, we would like to offer a package of uh, you know cable and wireless and again, they may decide to charge for that, or they may decide to, you know, you can only get it if you buy X services. Or I guess any any private company could do that. But that those were the kind of partnerships I'd envision. Are those possible? Absolutely, and I can even give you an example of one. Uh, uh, I just ran into it when I was looking, uh, researching what kind of wireless would be good in a rural area. 
as far as cost of benefit and bandwidth. Uh, the white space, uh, that might be an obscure term, but it's what's referred to as a, a, a new trend in wireless that Microsoft actually has a, and I hope I got the, I shouldn't have said their name, but <laughs> I'm not touting them, but I, I'm pretty sure it's Microsoft that has a test case going on in Cambridge right now around mm -hmm. the Olympics using, using white space. And what it is, uh, there is actually a city in Georgia, and I don't have the name, but it is, uh, I'm told it's the city with the most red clay possible that's out in the middle of nowhere. A mm -hmm. uh, small city, not a large population. The whole purpose was it was a grant, federal grant, to provide rural bandwidth. And they're actually implementing this white space wireless as they're not imp implementing a wired broadband, they're implementing a wireless broadband following the same model you just described. It is a pay-for-service. It's a public-private partnership. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the business and the government working together to, to roll out wireless to an area that had no broadband. Mm -hmm. Because I would imagine... And it, it, and it works. It, it, the model definitely does work. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely it's, it's something to consider, and I think that, uh, you know, currently we have... Oh, I don't know, some 150, 160 communities that own their own networks. In some cases, it's cable, but in a lot of cases, it's fiber. Um, and we have a number of public-private partnerships that are in the works. I think that you know people might want to consider you know building the wireless capability because right now no one's really talking about that. I mean, they, people seem to be so like it's like a religious thing. People are so fixated on fiber, 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 and that's it. Or they're only focused on wireless that you know there's not enough creative thought going into the combination of the two. And that to me is I think what Chattanooga represents. You know, you've got the gigabit network on the on the wired side and you have this 16 meg symmetrical wireless on the on the wireless side, and they're both you know I mean they're integrated they're they're totally integrated technologies with the potential to have even faster wireless. So you know maybe the next test bed of, for applications might be well then how do we create applications that serve both wired and wireless, and then how do we line up you know private partners to then deliver those applications to a public that's willing to pay for those. I think you just hit on my religion, as you said. You have the fiber and you have the wireless, and I'm I preach both. Uh, I preach the uh, you can't be uh, you can't access all the applications that you have at your fingertips if you're not wireless. I mean, there is no way you can claim you can, but you still need the fiber to be the heavy carrier, the heavy lifter. So that's the way I let the wireless is the end user delivery. In other words, your phone, your uh, I want to make another point in our network, which is a trend, and I don't know if this matters, but I think it's it sort of sometimes spins the way people look at the idea of wireless. When we rolled out, uh, we kept you know the preaching, the this is the what wireless means. This is, we rolled it out as people specific. In other words, you'll be able to access this, you'll be able to do this while you're moving. You can drive it down the road in your car doing this. Next thing we know, we are just growing like crazy as far as fixed devices being out there wirelessly. Uh, example, 28,000 streetlights. Can you imagine fibering up 28,000 points and paying for it? Wow. Uh, uh, the 
the all the number of street lights we've got connected. So as we've we, we're looking at a project now, what you can do with prediction if you have um if you have a rainfall monitors out there, just very inexpensive rainfall monitors hooked up to a not having to pay for the network because it's already paid for a wireless network and you're getting real time data back of where the rain is any at any given square mile of Chattanooga. So then you can do the predictions instead of saying, well, you're going to get a lot of rain, Chattanooga, look out for flooding. We actually know where that flooding will happen. So there's a lot of things like that going on that devices, the wireless devices like the medical, uh, we're becoming known on the map as a wireless device area to start testing out. We have another one that uh, was originally tested in uh, Los Angeles but now he's doing tests here as far as doing, it's actually, a lack of a better term, a sniffer. It actually sits there wirelessly, uh, connects to a network, sends data back, but it's actually detecting pollutants or contaminants or anything in the air. And we do that with water also. We have a wireless water monitor, sits in the water, measures water quality, and reports back if it has any fluctuation. Every two seconds it takes a sample, it's all computer controlled, not people. And if it decides it's something that doesn't know what to alert you with, it takes a sample of the water using an IV bag. You don't have to send anybody out to take a sample. You just have to send them out to swap the IV bag and bring the sample back. And it notifies you it took one, so you don't have to send that person out every so often checking it. Did I, was that enough uh, running around there? I think I covered. <laughs> if I can remember what I was trying to cover. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, uh, this, uh, this makes a lot of sense. Now that, that you know, definitely is a way to go. Um, I'm going to regress a, not regress, but change direction quickly, and then come back okay. to some other points. But uh, when I was there, you know, we're talking about application. The thing, being a Trekkie, the thing that really got my attention was the uh the holograph application which uh, for mm-hmm. those trekkies out there in the audience you know the whole holodeck that was a big thing on on Star Trek the Next Generation uh you guys are doing this um can you explain uh how that all works you know what is it what does it look like you know and, and I guess mainly importantly you know how are you able to uh maximize that application thanks to the wireless network that you have okay uh, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, part of the wireless network was, that helped in this was that thinking of every time somebody thinks of doing something with technology, let's all talk, let's all think we, you know, because the wireless requires that, let's all decide what's the best way to implement this and make use of existing resources and can other, some other department use it. So this is a perfect example of how that bigger thinking was created it wasn't created just on the fly it was created with the concept of you got to do that in a ubiquitous network you can't just sit there and you know you you know unmanaged uh using a network so it's very managed but uh what happened the police department looked at a couple of technologies that would have an impact on crime and they came up with their best uh, solution which was an awesome solution is this uh, crime scene scanner and what it is, it's a laser that uh, in 10 minutes, it, uh, it can go out as, as far as the laser will go. It will go city blocks if you have enough data storage for it. But uh, it, it does a circle in 10 minutes and does a laser scan down to a centimeter of everything in as far as that laser could see. 
and it turns it in 10 minutes, it turns it into a hollered, uh, on your laptop a 3D representation of whatever they scan. So you can, let me see if I can draw this with words. Uh, for example, they scanned City Hall is what you saw. So we have this scan of City Hall done, and they, it took them four scans, I think it was, so 10 minutes of scan, they went all around City Hall. Now they picked up every building that was on any side, anywhere you could see, okay, because if the laser hits something, it stops. So within 40 minutes, they had a scan of City Hall. They now, through software, have it on their laptop because of the wireless network. That data is, it, it's 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 a lot like Google Earth. As you zoom in, you see the lower level. It's not sending all the data at once. It's a true web-based application. They now, the officer can sit there with that scan of City Hall and say, put me a virtual camera in the window and let's see what I can see outside that window on the fourth floor. And they can actually tell because it picked up every leaf on the tree, it picked up everything down on the road, picked up everything up to the top of the building of a data representation, a data cloud. Have I described this in <laughs> well enough? I feel like I, it's very hard. Like you saw it, but then but I, I'd like it's like describing the taste of a banana. <laughs> it is a very difficult uh, thing to explain over the radio. I agree. You know, what, but what is fascinating about it is um, the ability to, uh, to you know to, to recreate the crime scene, but create recreate it in places other than the actual scene itself. I mean, I if you basically right. Uh, you know, turn these scanners on, and you do collect all, you know, every aspect of the scene. You then upload that to the network, so that you know, detectives or medical personnel or whomever, whatever, lawyers, whole nine yards, can then access that file, and then they can see what your original investigators saw. Yeah. You know, and within ten minutes, we're right of the arriving on the crime scene. You know. So that's that's the key. Normally, if you watch CSI or some of those uh, other shows, they 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 sit there for hours. Uh, I think the the average I was given by the police department is twelve hours that they're on the crime scene taking pictures and hoping they catch everything and measurements and so forth. This catches it down to where if you wanted to, you could write a program that could count every leaf on a tree. Or you can point and click and measure points. Uh, we use it for planning. We actually scan the stadium or football stadium, and the police can sit there for pre-planning, see exactly where they're going to station officers sitting around. A t they sit around a table, displaying it up on the screen, and actually can see what each officer is monitoring and what they can see from their position. In other words, we're going to have this person watch this end of the field, and they find out. You know, because of the beams or anything, that's not the best place to put them. So uh, they can uh, dynamically they can sit and do pre-planning. But also, on a if you take, uh, I use this example. Uh, you know, and the officers use it. They can actually, you know, well, I'll back up and actually use a real world. Uh, the the guy who does the scanning was asked. He's sort of like this rock star on this technology. Uh, he has an Alienware laptop to handle the pro the initial processing, so he can get it out delivered fast. So he has all the latest tools. But uh, he was asked by a police department to come demo it, and uh, unknown to him, they actually set up a crime scene. And he scanned it, and within you know 15 minutes, he told exactly, he said, well, a shot was fired here at the car. And then they moved three feet over here, fired another shot. And uh, then they, as far as I can tell, they were running when they fired this third shot. And he was right on within a foot 
of everything he said from that scan. And he was it was after the fact, and he's just looking at a computer represent. The computer was basically telling him this information. Mm-hmm. So it, and the, it it really wowed the other police department, knowing that he hit it right on to what they had planned beforehand without telling them that what had happened. And uh, you know, and then listening to you know this story, and you know, based on what I you know observed when I was there, the other key thing about this is that if you have a creative mind, the possible applications are numerous. And I, which I think you know, you know, again, harking back to last week, you know, that's what really the the whole demo day was all about with uh, with all the teams showing off what they had created in just 14 weeks. You know, the idea is that this is the germ for a bunch of different, or the seed, I say, for a bunch of different other ideas, and that's really, you know, the the, the holograph fits that. You know, the yeah. uh, you know how you're using the wireless with, uh, you know, the various institutions, you know, using it at the library. You know, because earlier when we were getting ready for the show, you described, uh, you know, how the, the, the libraries are using it in some creative ways. And so, you know, we look at these things, and I think that we want to really th- talk about, you know, as cities, communities, what have you, you know, well, what uh, what else can you do with that? But then mm-hmm. that brings us back to a question. Um, we've got about 10 minutes or so left, which is the planning. You know, we have in today's show, you know, we've talked about the outcome, you know, what, what's there in Chattanooga. We've talked about, you know, some of the, you know, what we could possibly do, you know, down the road, and of which there are a lot of ideas. But how do you kind of crystallize this down to a couple of things that then can get it started, you know, getting off the dime initially. You know, what are maybe three or four things that a community, particularly if they're building a fiber network, you know, if they were lucky enough to get a stimulus grant, they got some other grant, they've got some other people coming in, you know, building fiber networks in their community, how do you step off into the wireless realm here? I think the key is not siloing your ideas. Uh, even in our wired environment, they they implemented the fiber to be smart grid, but they weren't siloed just on that. They decided mm-hmm. that they were going to they were going to um, actually uh, give internet access to citizens. They were going you know through the same smart grid network. So it's multi-use. So I think uh, the first thing is is not to not be negative about it. Say, oh wow, there's no way we're going to roll out a municipal wireless network. Well, while we wanted, I tried for years to roll out a municipal wireless network. It actually came to fruition once I found the needs that I started getting people along with me. In other words, mm-hmm. they said they could use it. So finding that need, not saying you can't do it, saying find the ways you can do it. And don't be afraid of just, you know, reaching out and talking to many different users and that, that have that need. Don't just sit there and say, well, it'd be much easier if all I had to do was roll this out for the police department. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give an example on that hologram, uh, public uh, Parks and Rec actually took a scan of their ball field, took it to an event, uh, a conference, where they're actually pitching for uh, uh tournaments to come to Chattanooga and their booth was the biggest hit booth because they had the hologram of their field that people could come up you know like you said the hollow deck mm-hmm. and actually see the ball field there of where uh, uh, what Parks and Rec was wanting them to come play on 
and that was a big draw. So that, you know, if you said, well, you know, what does a wireless network have to do with that? Well, it generated all these ideas, not siloed and not saying no, but saying, and not saying yes. I don't say just say yes to everything, but, you know, be positive, be aggressive, and uh, there are ways to figure out what the meaning of life is, what those applications that people need. Mm-hmm. So, so need often should always be really the 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 main driver. What about from a um, planning side? I mean, who do you bring together to do the actual planning? That's one question. And the second one is, how do you filter out or prioritize? the ideas that occur because I've talked to a number of people that, you know, they've got their planning group together uh, and then the doors open up and they say, well, we want to build this kind of wireless network and then all of these ideas come in. And they obviously can't do them all at once, but there has to be some sort of mechanism. So, you know, so again, what would be the, you know, ideal team to kind of build or do the planning and then how do you prioritize the, the possibilities? Well, the the initial triage prioritization is very easy. If they have funding, definitely they they will go first. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely get your get your ideas sold if you have funding. For example, we built this originally based on a public safety platform, public safety money uh, sort of grant sort of went to the wayside, and it became more Department of Energy grants and transportation grants. So that's when that's where most of the funding came from. But we never lost sight. We continued to meet, continued to generate ideas with the police department. So I don't think you ever – you don't turn ideas down. Uh, I don't think I've necessarily turned anything down. It's just the uh, the ease of implementation and the the – the um what's the word the engagement of the people who want to do it uh i've got uh i meet probably once a month with uh different applications that have nothing to do with city government of just the dreams that they're thinking like augmented reality and and other things going on in Chattanooga that I want to make sure if they ask they say hey if can you give me this bandwidth to try this out that I'm making sure I'm not saying no I'm figuring out a way to say yes Mm-hmm. So it, uh, I think that's key is is figuring out a way to say yes, not turning down the ideas, because there's a lot of it's just like anything else. There's a, um, thousands of ideas out there, but if you don't listen to them, you won't catch those jewels that come across. And there are a lot of jewels out there to be caught. And the triage, like I said, if it if the idea you can realize the impact. Some impact just isn't money. It's just a community impact. Uh, the ideas that you might have, what to use the wireless for. So uh, I try to tell people, don't think uh, if you're coming up with an idea, don't think of it should be wired or wireless. Come up with the idea of what do I want to solve, what do I want to go with, not necessarily solve, what do I want to create, and then we'll pull together everybody, whether it, uh, the funding idea or the network side of it, uh, mm-hmm. figuring out how to make that happen. Nine times out of ten, it ends up being wireless. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's still one out of ten that still end up, hey, it's better just to connect that up the fiber. Right, right, right. And uh, all kinds of um, all kinds of issues there. Now, in that, in that quest for money, because everything seems to, you know, pretty much well, ride on it. I mean, if you don't have the money, uh, but are there alternative sources of of funding? In other words, if I can't find a grant, if I can't find it in the budget, uh, what's next in terms of looking for options? 
Oh, we've we've got a few ideas as far as what we've been looking with with uh, private partnerships and so forth that we're fleshing out. Um, I'm not sure I want to release some of them because they're That's still okay. in well, the uh, discussion with companies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there is. Uh, it doesn't all have to be a federal grant or a tax dollar to to fund some of these initiatives. There is actually business dollars out there. If you think um, businesses have, and I'll sort of give a, 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 a circle around the idea to give you an idea into the inside of it. Um, businesses have a need to engage city government. In other words, whether that engagement is a, a better communication, more immediate, whether it be business plans or business uh, uh, inspection services to con- kind of contractors, or if it's just better access, quicker access to police and their property, those are things that the city has the capability. If we have a good network of providing that act, that more direct, immediate access to city government, so and it is one of those things that businesses will pay for. So it's one of those things where we're coming up with ideas of, you know, not going to traditional ways of funding. Don't just look at it as, well, do you have a grant? Did you get approval for a budget? Well, bye, you can't do this idea, no matter how good it is. So we, I put funding in there on purpose. You didn't ask about funding, but I put that as part of the idea process because a lot of people just get stuck on not doing the idea because they can't think of the funding. And that is just as much as idea creativity as the uh the actual idea in itself. Mhm. So we've got uh we've got about 3 minutes to go here. Um in in closing, what do you think is going to be the big driver or the big type of applications that will engage you and the network for the next uh the next year? The the wireless part of the network. Hmm. Uh, it's always implementation, implementation, implementation. So continue implementing implementing the current things we have in progress. That's mm-hmm. that's fifty percent of it, and the other fifty percent is maintaining the the new idea creation. In other words, we still, uh, you know, there there are some things I'm in non-disclosure on new ideas and how you fund it and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that private partnership, uh, it sort of gets. Uh, it's not as fun when you got to keep quiet about a lot of stuff you're doing. But I, we're not really doing it. Companies are doing it and figuring it out. But it, it, we're getting it out. To get it out more out there, For if I could do anything that would be better, it would be make it to where people understand the concept of what a ubiquitous network can do for you and then think of the ideas and how to do it, which I thought it was, you know, I would love uh, maybe have instead of the like you said the demo day for what you can use fiber for. Uh, I think I could get a tremendous response because vendors are coming in here daily on wanting to do their wireless devices on our network. Mm-hmm. So I would love to get that that idea creation with the new younger up and coming uh, idea developers of start thinking wireless. What would you put on a wireless network? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we're going to have to to wrap here. This has been a great discussion, and as uh, as we talked about before the show started, there's definitely more stuff to talk about that we could fill up an hour with. So we will undoubtedly be calling again one day to to bring you back on the show and to talk some more about how Chattanooga is is progressing. But Mark, thank you very very much uh, for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. 
And thank you for putting up with my whiteboard drawing with my words. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, from which all great ideas flow. Uh, thank you very much to our audience for uh, for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Continue to stay with us. We're always going to be bringing on good guests with lots of knowledge and uh, ideas for moving broadband forward. And finally, uh, many thanks to our sponsor, uh, Team Fischl. They are a, a network construction company. You may not have heard about them, but a lot of networks wouldn't be there without them. So uh, thanks to them for uh, helping us uh, support the show. And everyone, thanks again, and we will talk to you again soon. Take care.